good morning, and what a hope we have that uh, one day, uh, because of Jesus and through him, uh, we'll be in heaven forever, and we'll have a mansion uh, that there'll never be a hearse that'll back up to again to carry a loved one away. There'll never be any changes or change in season. Everything's going to be perfect and wonderful, and it's all because of Jesus Christ. If you're thankful for that this morning, say amen. Good to have each of you here. Appreciate those that are joining us uh, by way of internet, uh, those who are listening uh, through their telephone line. Uh, we welcome you uh, this morning, and uh, we'll say happy Valentine's Day. And uh, I just saw a couple of men jerk their shoulders back real quick. You forgot, didn't you? You're in trouble. Uh, you better run by Walgreens on the way home. So we'll pray for you this morning, uh, too, as we start. But in all seriousness, let's begin our service with prayer, and uh, let's pray that God will prepare our hearts, prepare the hearts of those that are listening, and those that will be listening later in the week as our service is broadcast out to different parts of the country. So let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, we thank you for this day and for the gift of it. Father, I pray that you'll burn upon our hearts right now the truth that we will never have the opportunities that we're going to have in this service ever again. This is the day that you've made. God, I pray that we'll rejoice and be glad in it and we'll seize every spiritual opportunity that exists right now for us to experience. God, I pray that uh, we'll link our hearts together. Uh, and even though uh, behind these masks we can't fully sing the way that we wish, Father, you can still hear from our hearts. And I pray that you'll be honored and glorified as we lift praises to your name this morning. Father, I pray that as we turn to your word today, your spirit would challenge us concerning the needs that exist today. We pray for the one who's never been saved, God, who's never responded to the love of God, that, God, they will do that today. They'll turn from sin, they'll repent, and they'll trust Christ by faith to be Lord of their life. And God, I pray that every believer will really take serious uh, the lessons that can be learned from our text today. And because of it, we'll be drawn into a deeper, closer, more surrendered relationship with you. And through that, God, you'll be more able to do things through us that you desire because of our commitment in our surrender, in our filling with the Spirit. Uh, Father, again, uh, we pray that you would just be honored and glorified. God, I pray that we won't be seen, but God, that you'll be seen today. And you'll receive all the praise, the honor, and the glory. And again, on this Valentine's Day, God, we just want to say how much we love you. And God, we know that we couldn't love you if you'd not loved us first. And thank you for how you love others through us when we make ourselves available, Father, just to shine your love into a dark, into a decaying, and a dying world. Bless this time. Be honored and glorified through it all. It's in Jesus' precious and his holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Brother Scotty. Let's all stand. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day. This is the day that the I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad it is, and be glad it is. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad it is. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. 
Let's sing now. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. That the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will
blood was on his scarlet robe stained a crimson red though his eyes were on the crowd that day he looked ahead in time for when he was on the cross I was on his mind for he knew me yet he loved me his glory makes the heavens shine I'm so unworthy your Bibles this morning, please, and turn with me uh, to the Old Testament book of Nahum. The Old Testament book of Nahum. Uh, if you're having trouble, I'll help you out. That's right between Micah and Habakkuk. All right? And uh, hopefully you'll find it before the end of uh, the service. But while you're trying to find uh, Nahum, let me say uh, again, uh, how much is your pastor? I truly do appreciate uh, your being leadable and your response to our protocols uh, that we're trying, that we have in place to help keep each other safe and continue to have services. But you wear your masks, you wear them right, you wash your hands when you come in, you're wearing your masks all the way to your car. And I want you to know as your pastor how much I appreciate uh, you doing that and that you're being leadable and doing that. So God bless you for that, and I, I truly do appreciate it. Nahum uh, will begin to read uh, this morning in verse in chapter 3. And in verse number one, this morning we'll speak to you on this subject, learning from history. Learning from history. Nahum chapter 3, we'll begin to read in verse number one. I'll ask you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. Where Nahum chapter 3, begin to read in verse number one. The Bible says, Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Its victims never depart. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Horsemen charge with bright sword and glittering spear. 
there's a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of the harlotries, of the seductive harlot, the mysteries of sorceries, who sell nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Verse 5 says, Behold, I'm against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Noammon that was situated by the river, that had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Lubim were your helpers, yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Draw water for your siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like the locust. Make yourself many like the swarming locust. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust plunders and the flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts and your generals like the grasshoppers which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away and the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber. O king of Assyria, your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains and no one gathers them. Now listen. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your spirit today would challenge us concerning again the need of our heart. God, we simply pray that those who've never been saved, God, who have never responded to the love of God, today God would choose to repent and trust Christ to be Lord of their life. And God, I pray that though Satan would try to bring into our thoughts right now, into our mind, things that are going to happen later today, things that might happen during the week, responsibilities that we have, things we haven't even thought about, God, but just anything to try to keep our attention and our mind from the truths of your word. God, I pray you'll put a hedge of protection around us. God, I pray we'll be serious-minded and we'll do our part to focus today on you and on your word and on the voice of the Holy Spirit. And as we come to a time of invitation, God, I pray that whatever your Spirit challenges us and invites us to do today, God, we'll respond to that your perfect will might come about in our lives. It's in Jesus' precious and his perfect and holy name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. Nahum, uh, if you can tie Luke and Acts together, uh, Luke, Acts, Luke wrote both of them uh, to Theophilus. And though there's a book that separates them, they really are just one into the other. We really could put Jonah and Nahum 
uh, together. Though they're not authored uh, by the same author, they're really the, they're two chapters to the same story. Remember uh, that in Jonah chapter 1, the Bible says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and crowd against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. They were a demonstrated enemy of Israel, and Jonah didn't like Nineveh. He didn't like Assyria uh, because of their wickedness and because of their hatefulness toward the nation of Israel. But God in His grace and God in His mercy wanted to give Nineveh one more chance to repent. So He sent Nineveh, He sent Jonah to Nineveh to crowd against him. But Jonah didn't want to go. And you'll remember, he tried to evade. He went the wrong direction. Uh, there was a great storm on the sea. Jonah knew that it was because of him. Uh, he asked the sailors to toss him in. They tossed him in. There was God who prepared a great fish for three days and three nights. Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah again after he repented. And he had another opportunity. And he went to Nineveh and he preached. He walked around the city and he had just an eight-word message uh, that he preached to the people. He told them that they needed to repent for judgment was coming. And the Bible says that the people responded. Uh, that they, they responded. The king responded. It was, a, it was a national awakening, spiritual awakening. Verse 10 of chapter 3 says that God saw their works. And so God relented of the judgment that he was about to send upon the people. But as we come to the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 1, 150 years have passed. 150 years between that great uh, renewal, that spiritual awakening, that new commitment. Different generations have been born. And now the nation of Assyria, it would seem, and the capital at Nineveh, they've turned away from God. The, the fires that once burned bright in dedication and surrender to God, they've grown cold. And now the nation of Assyria seems to be even more wicked, more perverted, more vile than they were before. And they had crossed God's deadline. Well, Nahum was, again, one of those faithful prophets of God. We don't know a great detail about him, but what we see from the text is what we should all seek to emulate. And that was his faithfulness to simply deliver the message that God had given him. Nineveh had made several mistakes over the past 150 years. We're going to see those today. Uh, Winston Churchill, in an address... Uh, and he was actually quoting uh, George Santiano, once said that those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And I've entitled our message today, Learning from History. But prior to George Santiano and uh, Winston Churchill saying that, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verses 11 and 12, he said these words to a church that was struggling a church that had turned away from God's word, a church who was really starting to emulate uh, the idolatry of the nation of Israel in ancient past. They said, now these things happened to them, the challenges, the adversity, the chastening of God upon their life. These things happened to them as examples, the Apostle Paul says. They were written down for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And then the Bible says, Therefore let him that stands take heed, lest he fall. Paul was telling the church at Corinth that we shouldn't look past or forget or not take advantage of the mistakes of others in history. And Nineveh created some very serious mistakes. And, and, and we would be wise to identify those and ensure that we do not follow in their path. Well, 
What are those mistakes? Well, first off, number one, uh, do not adopt the contemporary Christian view of justice and judgment. Do not adopt the contemporary Christian view of justice and judgment. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 8, the Bible declares that God is love. And He is. God is the source of love. He is the spring from which all true love flows from. A popular verse, you see it on uh, billboards at ball games. You used to. You used to see it on billboards driving down the road. It's the most popular verse. You've asked somebody what's the most popular verse in the Bible. Someone would probably say, John 3, 16, for, for God so loved. And, and people talk about the, the love of God. For God so loved the world. And, 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 and there's two truths in contemporary Christian culture. Uh, and by that I mean the church of today. The, the predominant prevailing doctrine of the church at large in America today. Two truths from God's love uh, are taught. One, that, that God is love. God's love. And number two, that God loves you. You'll hear it in music. You'll hear it in teaching. But those are the two fundamental truths that are continued to be taught over and over. But there's some truths that are left out uh, that need to be taught if the whole counsel of God is going to be uh, shared. Uh, third, we need to see that, that there's the demonstration of God's love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't hear a lot about the cross anymore. Uh, people don't want to hear about the bloody sacrifice that Christ endured on our behalf. You don't hear why Christ had to die. And, and it's because of our sin. That's a word that's not popular. You, you don't hear about the way to experience God's love. That's through repentance, surrender to Christ's lordship. Not just a mental ascension to believe that God exists and Christ died. You, I'd dare, you'll dare find anybody that was raised in the South that doesn't believe that God exists and Jesus is Son, and He died upon the cross. Uh, but you don't hear about the, what the Bible says about the way to experience God's love. And you hear very little about the penalty for refusing uh, to respond to God's love and accept Christ to be Lord of your life. Well, this was true in Nahum's day. It's true that God is love and it's true that God loved the world. But Nahum reveals some truths that you rarely here anymore from the pulpit or in small group teaching or in the doctrine that's taught within the life of the church. Look at Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. God's speaking to Nineveh uh, through Nahum. He says in verse 2 of chapter 1, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries. And He reserves wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. Verse 6 of chapter 1. Who can stand before His indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of His anger? This is God. His fury is poured out like a fire. The rocks are thrown down by Him. Chapter 2, verse 13. God says to Nineveh, Behold, I'm against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke. And the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth. And the voice of the messengers shall be heard no more. Verses 5 and 7 of the chapter we began with. 
I'm against you, says the Lord of hosts. I'll lift your skirts over your face. I'll show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I'll cast a bondable filth upon you and make you vile and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? We don't understand that the Bible teaches that God is a God of love and praise His holy name for that truth. For we'd still be lost today. But the Bible also teaches that God is a God of justice and God is a God of judgment. In American culture, you know, we love mysteries. We love whodunits. Uh, I mean, go back to me. There's been mystery shows and mystery books uh, for years. But remember when Andy Griffith quit making Andy Griffith and started making Matlock and people tune in to see how he was going to catch the guilty. Who, who done it? And now there's even, they even tried to make cleaner. Uh, Hallmark's come out with movies and mysteries. But there's been CSI, and then you just pick a town and put CSI there. Law and Order, and they just put acronyms after it just to make a spinoff after a spinoff. As long as there's somebody that's interested in watching it, they'll make the show. But it's always about the same thing. In the beginning, there's a crime. And someone thinks they can get away with the crime. And then it's discovered that the crime has occurred. And then the police or the detective begins to investigate. And you, you get into it, and you're watching, and you're looking, and you see the, the person, or you haven't figured out some reveal who it is in the beginning. Some you've got to wait to the very end to find out who it is. Like when they pull the mask off in Scooby-Doo. You, got to, you, don't, you don't know who it is. But you're on pins and needles. You're waiting. And, you, you want, and, and if, if the guilty is not punished, well, you're upset. But when it comes to God's justice and God's judgment, we don't want to hear about that. And somehow God's less than God if He would judge sin and He would judge sin. But when it comes to God, we don't want to think about or hear those things. Well, it was the same in Nahum's day. People didn't want to hear that. Even after experiencing God's grace and God's mercy, years had passed. God had used Assyria in their rebellion to judge the northern kingdom. They began to move south, and they were about to invade Judah. And Sennacherib began to boast against the Lord. And, and Rabbishak came to King Hezekiah, and he began to speak, even though they had, now don't miss this, even though they had once experienced God's grace and God's mercy, they, they knew who God was. They didn't want to hear those truths anymore, and so they developed contemporary doctrine about God that was void of his power, his majesty, and his judgment, and that they would be held accountable for their sin. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse number 33, uh, Rabbishak says, has, has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of a, the king of Assyria? Were the gods of Hamath and Arpad, were the gods of Seraphim, Hena, and Ava? Indeed, they delivered Samaria from my hand. Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. That's what the king of Assyria said. Who's God? That he's going to protect you from me. Though they had once had a biblical view of God and had responded to that, there had developed, don't miss this, a view of God, a view of God in their culture that, that wasn't based in Scripture. And I'll submit to you, friend, that's the case in the contemporary church today. 
People sing about God's love. They talk about God's love. When it comes to God's justice and God's judgment, well, that's a different God way back in the Old Testament. That's not the God of today. Friend, I want to remind you, the book of Hebrews says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the psalmist says that God's word is forever settled in heaven. It doesn't change. And so God is a God of justice and a God of judgment. And so we need to make sure in order to not adopt, listen to me, the contemporary Christian view of justice and judgment, we turn to God's word to make sure we have a biblical view of God's justice and God's judgment. Remember Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Part of the Great Commission is not just reaching people with the gospel, but the second word is we're to be, really, reach, that's right. We're to be teaching and observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. All things. And so that's not just the parts of Scripture that fit what we've twisted our doctrine to, to be, but we teach all Scriptures, and then from that, we develop what we believe about God. We don't develop a belief in God and then try to find Scriptures to fit it and cut away Scriptures that don't. We just teach and preach the whole counsel of God's Word. As disciples, we study the whole counsel of God's Word, and then we believe what we believe based upon the whole counsel of Scripture. So the Bible tells us that we're to teach all things whatsoever uh, that's been commanded. Well, what does the New Testament have to say about God's wrath and God's justice and God's judgment against sin? Well, John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 36, said, He who believes on the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John the Baptist taught from the very beginning that if you don't trust Jesus to be your Lord, you're going to experience God's wrath. Not, well, all dogs go to heaven and everybody's going to experience God's love. But it's a simple choice. You, you respond to God's love and you receive Jesus Christ. Or if you refuse God's love, you experience God's wrath. Luke chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said this from his mouth. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to hell. He who hears me is he who rejects. And he who rejects me is he who rejects. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So Jesus was teaching from the very beginning that if you fail to respond to God's love and receive his message, judgment's going to fall on you because God is a God of justice and of judgment. Luke chapter 16, Jesus talked about hell. He taught about hell. He taught about the eternal torment, the justice, and the judgment that will come against the person who refuses to respond to God's love. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. John saw this uh, in the last days. The Bible says that, that after seven years of tribulation, when all the armies of the world are gathered together against Assyria, that Jesus Christ will return. And the Bible says in verse number 11 of Revelation 19, that now I saw opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. 
He's coming to make war against the nation. His eyes were as the flame of fire on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed, that's us, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed with him on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, so that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and upon his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus. That's the same Jesus that many today with a breathy voice sing solely about his love and his love for you, but stop short of talking about how he demonstrated his love, the way to experience his love, and the penalty for refusing his love. And so Nineveh had adopted whatever contemporary teaching was being taught in that day about God's justice and God's judgment. Apparently it was that because they had once experienced God's spiritual awakening on their lives, that they were good. And they became religious. And they began to believe that there would never be a day that they would be accountable to God. And I'm telling you, if you're not careful what you read and what you listen to, and Christian-wise, who you rub shoulders with, that same kind of doctrine will rub off on you. And so you need to make certain you're being driven back to Scripture. You're being driven back to the Word of God. That's why the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, as he was departing from them, in Acts chapter 20, verses 27 and follows, said this, For I myself have not shunned to declare to you, listen, the whole counsel of God. Paul said, I didn't come into your midst and just tell you what was popular and what would build the crowd. He said, I gave you the whole counsel of God's Word. Why? Because that's what Jesus told him to do in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. You can't build disciples, biblical followers of Christ, without the whole counsel of God's Word. And Paul told them, verse 28, Take heed to yourselves and all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, listen, to shepherd the church of which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things. That word perverse in the Greek means misleading. Paul says, after I leave you, men are going to spring up in your midst, and they're going to teach misleading things. Here's the reason. Listen to verse 30 of Acts chapter 20 to draw away the disciples after themselves. To sow a false doctrine in their life that's not grounded in the whole counsel of God's Word. And so Nineveh had made a mistake. They had adopted the contemporary thought of God's justice and judgment that no God... If God had sent Jonah to tell them how to be saved, well, he's a God of love. And he loves them. And he would never hurt them. They'd escape God's judgment. But they weren't turned to the Word, friend, to see a whole counsel of God's Word, that though God is a God of love, He is a God of justice, and He's a God of judgment, and He will judge sin. So don't make that mistake. Don't adopt the contemporary Christian teaching of God's justice and God's judgment. Number two, do not mistake God's patience for permissiveness. Nineveh had. They mistook God's patience. 150 years, God had been patient with them and long-suffering, desiring that they would repent and they would turn back to Him. But now they've crossed God's deadline. God in His grace had given them an opportunity to repent. And they had. Uh, Look at Nahum 
chapter 2 and verse number 8. Look what their, their testimony was. After Jonah had come into their midst and preached, and the, the king of Nineveh, of Assyria, there in Nineveh, had called for a national feast, and, uh, I mean, a national time of repentance, a time of brokenness. And, and, and the people as a whole had turned and, and responded to God's love. The Bible says in Nahum chapter 2, verse 8, that Nineveh was like a pool of water. That they were a blessing to their neighbors. They were a blessing to others. Why? Because they, they were serving the Lord. But now something's changed. Now they were no longer a blessing. Now, verse 8 continues, now when people come, they flee away. Halt, halt, the Nineveh cries. You know, it's only so they can kill them and get something from them. They take spoil of silver. They, they take gold. They've lost their testimony. They had grown more evil 150 years later than they were before. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We read earlier. Woe to the bloody city. It's all full of lies and robbery. Its victims never depart. The noise of whip, the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, clattering chariots. Constant warfare. Horsemen charged with bright sword. Well, friend, they weren't bright because they were polished. They were bright with blood. There's a multitude of slain, great number of bodies, countless corpses. They maimed their enemy. They were wicked. They were ruthless. They mistook God's patience for His permissiveness. Verse number 5 of chapter 3, God says, I'm against you. They crossed God's deadline. God says, I'm against you now. The last verse of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 11, God says this, And should I not pity Nineveh? Now remember, Jonah was all sold up. And woe is me. He, he, he didn't... He didn't understand God's love. He was so full of hate for Nineveh that he couldn't rejoice in that an entire city had passed from judgment into grace and experienced God's mercy. God said, should I not pity Nineveh? Don't miss this. That great city which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. God, God said to Jonah, should I not have pity upon them? But now look at the last verse of Nahum. God says, your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. God says, you've crossed my deadline. Through Jonah, he says, there's an opportunity for repentance. There's an opportunity to experience my grace and my mercy. But now God says, there is no opportunity. What had happened? They had crossed an unseen deadline. And the mistake they made was they mistook God's patience and His long-suffering nature for permissiveness. That they could just live any way they wanted to because God's a God of love. God would never hurt somebody. A loving God would never send somebody to hell because God loves you. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to follow your heart. That was the contemporary teaching they had adopted, and that's what they were hearing, and that's what was being passed down from generation to generation. That's why they were living the way that they were living, and they mistook God's patience for God's permissiveness. And in that, they had, they had crossed a deadline. Many Jews did the same thing during Christ's earthly ministry. John chapter 12, begin to read in verse number 37, says these words, but although he had done so many signs before them, this is Jesus, they did not believe in him, that the word Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke, Lord, Who's believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That is, Christ came into their midst. They saw the power of God demonstrated through the life 
of Jesus Christ, but they would not receive him. John says, he came into his own, but his own received him not. And so they rejected Jesus Christ. Verse 39, therefore they could not believe now. Because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, he's hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, God says, so that I should heal them. Now they've passed God's deadline. The nation of, many of the nation of Israel, they had just, they'd crossed the deadline. They had hardened their hearts. And now there was no opportunity to be saved. You say, well, no, well, wait a second. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And amen. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But John chapter 6 verse 44 says this, friend. It is the Spirit of God who initiates salvation. He draws men and women to turn and trust Jesus Christ. And when you cross God's deadline, my friend, the Spirit of God will not draw anymore. And when the Spirit doesn't draw, you won't call. It's true, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved because, because the Spirit of God's drawing them. But when God's Spirit fails to draw because you cross God's deadline, you won't call. No one initiates on their own. God places a measure of faith that we have to choose to respond to. But when we cross that deadline, friend, and your heart hardens, oh, how sad the days in store when voice and vision come no more. That's what had happened to Nineveh. That's what happened to the nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God says, My spirit will not always strive with man. If you're here today or you're listening by way of the Internet, you've never been saved. Don't mistake God's patience for permissiveness. He's not okay with the sin that's in your life. He's not okay with your refusing to turn and trust Him. But He is long-suffering, and He is patient, and He desires that you turn. But make no mistake, there is a deadline that is set, friend, that I don't know when it is, and you don't know when it is, but God does. And when you cross that deadline and failing to respond to God's love, it's too late. My friend, there's a deadline that is for certain in everyone's life, and it's when you draw your last breath, and it is too late then. So the Bible says, boast not thyself tomorrow. You know not what the day will bring. Nineveh had mistook God's patient desire and his long-suffering nature as his permissiveness. That God's okay. He wasn't okay. But he was long-suffering. But they ended up crossing God's deadline. I want to remind you, say, well, I'm safe. Praise the Lord. But if you've got unrepented sin in your heart, I want to remind you another doctrine that's not taught much. That's 1 John 5, verse 16. There, the Bible teaches there is a sin unto death for the believer. And for Christians who have unrepented sin in their life that just continue to refuse to turn, the Bible says there is a sin unto death for that believer. You cannot lose your salvation because it is everlasting life. God will check you out and take you home. Acts chapter 5, it began in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. And, and, and church history is littered with the burning, destroyed testimonies of brothers and sisters of Christ who developed unrepented sin in their life. The Spirit of God called them to repent, but they mistook God's patience for permissiveness. And at some point, God killed them. And He took them home. Don't mistake God's patience for permissiveness. Nineveh had. Number three, do not be defeated by evil seeming victory. Don't be spiritually defeated by, by the seeming victory of evil all around us. It's sad, but depression can 
result from oppression. Some people just become depressed when they watch the news and they see evil prevailing. Uh, they see wicked politicians and wicked people just seem to get richer and the poor get poorer and it's harder to live for Christ. Friend, listen, don't become depressed by that. Don't be defeated by evil's seeming victory. Israel had been greatly afflicted. God had used Assyria to judge the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. Their choice to attack Israel, God used as a form of chastisement against them. But in that, there were many people, there was still a righteous remnant who sought to serve the Lord. And, and, and their, their commitment to the Lord and their practice of serving God was disrupted because of Assyria's oppression of them. Look what the Bible says to them in Nahum chapter 1 and verse 15. To those who had sought to keep serving the Lord. To those who didn't adopt the practices of evil, the contemporary practices of evil. For those who wanted their life to be uh, a source of blessing and honor and glory to God. The Bible says in verse number 15 of chapter 1, Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaim peace. O Judah, th this is in response to the fact that God's going to judge Assyria. That the evil that they committed, God's going to make right. He's going to avenge their played out wickedness upon Israel through Babylon. God says, because of that, you're going to be free. Oh, keep your appointed feast, verse 15. Perform your vows. That is, keep living for the Lord. He says to the righteous remnant, those of you who've been literally depressed because of the oppression of evil, the seeming victory, that evil just continues to win, and God never holds them accountable, God says, just wait. In my perfect time, I'm going to deal with them. So, Keep, keep your feast, perform your vows. For the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. And friend, if it hasn't happened yet, if God said it was going to happen, it's as good as done. They were just living on borrowed time. We see it throughout Scripture, the hearts of those who were burdened because of oppression and the seeming victory of evil. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist cried out from his heart, God, why, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The things of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Psalmist is broken hearts. says, God, they're all against us. I mean, everywhere we turn, we're trying to live for you. We're trying to serve you. And it's like... The evil that they perform, it just seems to win. They're never, they're never held accountable. Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 through 2, the psalmist says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Listen, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? The psalmist cried out to God and says, Lord, those that stand against you, they just keep winning. They just keep smiling. They keep grinning. And, and, and they continue to win. And, and it seems like the evil just continues to win. And, and we're, just, we're, we're spiritually defeated by that. And again, don't mistake God's patience for permissiveness. And don't be defeated by evil. God 
will hold all evil and those who perform it accountable for their actions. He will do it. He has promised to do so. He is the one who alone is to do it. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath as it is written. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now listen to me. There's a balance. That doesn't mean if someone breaks into your home or breaks into your property and breaks something or they run into you sideways that you shouldn't call the authorities and let the authorities of whom power has been given for the purpose of justice and judgment hold those people accountable. That's not what the Bible's teaching. What the Bible's saying is this. You shouldn't put your phone down and not call 911 and then take justice and judgment into your own hands. The Bible says right here that vengeance is mine. God says, I will repay. And as believers, we just give those people who practice evil against us over to the Lord and trust Him to handle it in a holy and righteous way. You see, we don't have the mind of God. If we try to do it ourselves, friend, we're going to do it in a way that's not going to help them. It's not going to help us. But if we give it over to God, He'll do it in a way that brings honor and glory to Himself and is best for us. And the Bible teaches in Revelation chapter 19, friend, God's going to hold all of evil ultimately accountable. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. The Bible says these things in response to the Antichrist kingdom that is wholly opposed to God, wholly opposed to His Word, wholly opposed to Christ, wholly opposed to the church, and oppresses for seven years all those who respond to the message of the gospel that will be preached after the church is raptured. Those who are able to respond, 2 Thessalonians 2, and be saved. The Bible says, after these things, after the fall of Babylon, I heard a loud voice in a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and honor and glory belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments because He has judged the great harlot, that's the, the Antichrist world system, who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of her ser- his servants shed by her. Again, they say, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. That's the, her destruction. And the 24 elders, that's the church, and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne and said, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both great and small. And as I heard as it were, listen, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. The Bible says, friend, listen, there's going to be a celebration in heaven one day because God will ultimately judge evil and those who commit it. And so don't be defeated now because of that. And God gave an encouragement to his people through Nahum. Nahum chapter 3 and verse number 7. God says, I'm going to destroy Assyria. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh's laid waste. With an exclamation point. Who will bemoan her? They were excited that Nineveh had been held accountable for the evil that they had brought against the nation of Israel. 
Verse number 19 of Nahum chapter 3. Your injury has no healing, God says. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. God says, when the nation of Israel and others that you've oppressed hear that I've judged you, they're going to say, praise the Lord. But it's, it's not personal. Now listen. Their, 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 their praise and their honor is that righteousness won and evil was defeated. Not that Assyria finally got it. Do you see the difference? It wasn't personal. You don't? Well, maybe I can help you with that. You don't make it personal. Remember in 1 Samuel, we've been studying on Wednesday nights, chapter 8 and verse number 7. The nation of Israel didn't want Samuel anymore. They didn't want God. They wanted a king like all the other nations. And Samuel was brokenhearted that the nation had turned away from God and had turned away from his leadership. And verse number 7 of 1 Samuel 8 says this, The Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Now listen to me. We don't like the evil that we see on the news. You don't like when you experience personal hardship and adversity through ministry. When you share the gospel with someone, they laugh at you, they refuse it, or someone makes fun of you because of your commitment to Christ. And that can be a challenge. But listen, it's not about you. It's about Him. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Him. You're His child. You're His ambassador. And so one day we are going to rejoice that evil and those who practiced it will be held accountable. But there's a balance. Our heart is broken that people have died and gone to hell. Our heart is broken. Friend, listen, it should break our hearts that Adolf Hitler's in hell. It should break our hearts that Osama bin Laden said, but, but look what he did to all those people. I hate what he did to those people. And we need to hold them accountable swiftly and, and, and quickly, and we did, and we should continue to protect and hold those who do such things as a nation accountable against us. But our hearts should still be broken that they never responded to God's love, and they're in hell for all eternity. There's a balance. And when you make it personal, I hate them. I hate those people. I hate the way they act. I hate that political group. I hate that senator. I hate that congressman, congresswoman. I hate her for what she said. Friend, you're, you're in a dark place. You've become defeated by evil seeming victory. And you're not walking in the victory, friend, that it's God who will have vengeance. Be burdened and broken, but be encouraged. Luke chapter 10, in verse number 16, Jesus says, He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. It's not about you. It's not about Greenwood. It's about their response to God. Those who practice evil are rejecting God and His love and His Word. So don't be downcast and be depressed over the seeming victory of evil. God's going to hold evil accountable. But at the same time, friend, stay burdened and broken over people's lostness. And remember that lost people act like lost people. But be encouraged in the end. Righteousness wins and evil loses. Praise His holy name. Praise His holy name. Number four, do not fail to share the gospel. Nineveh had. There'd been a great spiritual awakening. It had to go from house to house. 
The king heard the message. He made the decree. The entire nation, the entire city responded. The, 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 the word had gone out, how to experience God's grace and how to experience God's mercy. Now, Jonah had gone. He had reluctantly shared. He was the reluctant prophet. But still he went and God honored his word. And Romans 10, 17 says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And so he shared a message of repentance and renewal that could only be found through God. And they had once responded to that. Verse number 15 of Nahum chapter 1 says, Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings. Good tidings is good news. Good news means the gospel. It's, it's, it's the same verse that Paul quoted in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 15. How beautiful are the feet. You may be one of these people, you know, that feet are just nasty and disgusting. All feet are ugly. All feet are dirty. All feet are disgusting. But the Bible says, beautiful are the feet. Literally, the, the, the feet that carry the person that opens their mouth that tells someone how to experience God's mercy and God's grace. Jonah had done that, but something had failed. Nineveh had an opportunity to respond and repent because even though reluctant, Jonah shared. But had they failed to continue to share? Were there generations that were growing up, like in Exodus chapter 1, the Bible says there's a Pharaoh who came about who didn't know Joseph. The message had not been shared what God had done through Joseph to spare Egypt. Apparently, a generation had come about, they didn't know who God was, and they didn't have a fear of God. But someone had once told them, how to be saved and how to experience God's love. I just want, you know, just help me out. Raise your hand somewhere. Have you, have you ever responded to the gospel and been saved? Raise your hand if you've responded to the gospel. If you can't, I'm going to tell you how to. Aren't you? I want to ask you something. Who told you how to be saved? Did you just wake up saved? Some people errantly teach that that's the way it is. You just irresistibly wake up and you're saved. And friend, that's contrary to Scripture. If you were saved, somebody told you how. It was either a parent, a Sunday school teacher, someone took the time to open their... If you've been biblically saved, then someone shared with you from the Bible how to be saved. But Nineveh had stopped sharing the gospel. And that's why their country is in the shape that's in. And friend, I've submit to you again, over and over again, the reason America's in the shape that's in, it's not at the feet of any political party, it's at the feet of the church because the church has failed to share the gospel. We've just adopted the idea of, well, we'll have Bible school, just bring them to church. You know, well, they'll come, just invite them to church. Everything will be... No, friend, if you've got the opportunity, the Bible says, as you are going. I'm so glad for the missionaries that we're able to support in, in other places. I was able to read a, a great letter Brother Rom sent me the other day and to have a video that he'd attached of his house and see what God's doing through his ministry there. Other missionaries. And so we're able to support those missionaries. But friend, listen, God planted you as a missionary right here where you work, wherever you go in your retirement, from day in that whatever, whatever your routine is, that's your field. And so we're to be sharing. The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings. 
Just like Jonah told people in Nineveh how they could escape God's judgment, he's called us to tell people how they can be saved. And somebody took the time to tell you. And we all take the time to tell others. Nineveh, Nineveh failed to pass on. And listen, and the Bible says it's in the last verse of Nahum, it was too late for Nineveh now. They crossed God. It was too late to go tell them because their heart was hardened against God. But listen, but it may not be too late for your neighbor. It may not be too late for your coworker. It may not be too late for that cousin or that niece or that nephew, your brother or your sister, that God's been burdening on your heart. And you've been, well, you know what? I know I need to. Friends, st stop being like Jonah and going in the other direction. Be faithful and go to them. Because, friend, I'm telling you, the day of the 1950 church where everybody just shows up, it is gone. And the people that got saved in Nineveh, they didn't get saved in Bible school. They didn't get saved in Awana. They didn't come to hear a choir presentation. Jonah had to go and tell them what God said. And the day in which we're living, if people get saved, we got to go to them. Friend, listen, it's hard to get saved people that even come to church today. Much less lost people. So don't, don't be like Nineveh and fail to share the message of the gospel. Tell people how to be saved. And number five, do not reject the love of God. Nineveh had. They rejected God's love. They just rejected it. They had the opportunity. There was, there was a spiritual awakening. Their lives were changed. They were different. God saw the change that was in, in their lives. The book of Jonah the book of Jonah declares in verse 10 that God saw their works. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10. God saw their works. They had responded. They had experienced God's love, His mercy, and His grace. But now a new generation had come about. They pushed it away. They had absolutely rejected God's love 150 years later. Generation after generation had rejected. And God had declared in His Word, friend, listen, He has declared the penalty for sin. Romans 6, 23, it, it, it's, it's, it's death. It's an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's, that's the, that is the penalty for failing to respond to God's love demonstrated on the cross at Calvary. That's the penalty. And so, to be just, God must be true to His Word. The soul that sins shall surely die. For the tree of knowledge, good and evil amidst the garden, thou shalt not adopt the day thou eat thou off, thou shalt surely die. That's what the book of Genesis says. Romans 6.23, the, the wages of sin is death. And God would be less than God to not be true to His Word. And so in order to be a just God, He must punish sin. But I'm so thankful that not only was God just, He became our justifier. God came to this earth in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He became sin for us. He took our place. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11 says this, for, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. That's you. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, Having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. 
For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, verse 11 of Romans 5, but we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What happened at Calvary? God was just. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Well, Christ was out sin, but he became sin for us. He took our place. On the cross, you should have died. I should have died. But Jesus took our place. And so God was just, and he poured all his wrath against sin on his son, Jesus Christ. And in that, friend, he became our justifier. He set my record straight with his own body. Why did he do it? Because of love. God demonstrates his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And every person, friend, in order to experience salvation and truly experience God's love and God's goodness, you have to be reconciled to God because sin separates you from God. We were born with a sin nature. By one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. So there's a choice that all people have to make. Nineveh rejected God's love. Don't make that mistake. Do not reject God's love. I wonder how many little boys in elementary school at some point on Valentine's Day got a big red heart, folded a piece of red paper, and cut up the edge, and then down back the center and opened it up. Look this way and look that way. Got down on there and put B mine. Yes, put a box. No, put a box. And then nonchalantly went by and just put it down. And then just waited. And just waited. Maybe she'll check yes. Friend, when Jesus died on the cross. God sent all mankind to Valentine. And the invitation is this. Be mine. Sin has separated you from me. But I love you in spite of your sin. Because I'm a just and a holy God, I will judge the sin that's in your life. But I love you so much, I've sent my son to die in your place. Be mine. But you've got to respond with yes or with no. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Have you ever responded to God's love? Listen to me right now. I want you to think about right in front of you right now is a big red valentine. In big beautiful letters, it says, Be mine. Question mark. There's the word yes with a box. And there's the word no with the box. You know, friend, within your heart, and you know, you know right now, if you've never been saved, you've never turned from sin and trusted Christ, would you not check yes today? Would you not just simply respond to God's love? Turn from all the sin that's in your life. Place your life at His feet. Trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. And just, just say yes, sir. Nineveh made the mistake, friend, and they suffered God's judgment, and you will too. 
If you refuse God's love, friend, the Bible teaches that though God loves you and that though God is a God of love, He's a God of justice and He's a God of judgment and He will judge the sin that's in your life. And with a broken heart, friend, you'll be cast into hell for all eternity by God. But you don't have to go. Just check yes right now. Just reach out and check it by faith. And tell God so just like this silently where you sit. Oh God, forgive me of the sin that's in my life. I'm sorry all these years I've rejected your love. I'm so thankful that in spite of all the sin that's in my life, Jesus died for me. And by faith, I'm checking yes. I want Jesus to live in my heart. I want Him to be Lord of my life. I say yes. I want to be yours. And I want you to be mine. If you're here and you prayed that prayer, I'm going to invite you to stand up and make your way to where Brother Brian is in just a moment when Peggy begins to sing. Because Brian wants to encourage you in what the Bible says God wants to begin to do in your life now. What your responsibilities are toward that in this new walk, in this new relationship that you have with Him. Did any of those mistakes of Nineveh challenge you this morning? Are you being more shaped by the world's view of God than the Bible's declaration of who God is? Have you mistook God's patience for permissiveness? You've got, you know you've got unrepented sin in your life as a child of God, and you just continue to kick the can. Are you just overwhelmed by the evil that's in the world? I mean, you don't even want to get out of the bed. You throw the remote at the TV every time the news is on. Friend, stop being defeated. God wins. Righteousness wins in the end. Be balanced. Pray for lost people. Do your part. Number four, tell people how to be saved. Are you doing that? This Valentine's Day, friends, show God how much you love Him by carrying that message to other people. Commit to do it starting right now. Father, we're so thankful that while we were yet sinners, You sent Christ to die for us. God, Your love is so amazing. It's so wonderful. We could never write down how great and how grand it is. Father, we can show You with a broken and surrendered life how much we do love You with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can show our neighbor that we love them as ourselves by being the feet of the gospel, the salt and the light that You call us to be. Father, I pray if there's anything in our life right now that's not in Your will, I pray You'll challenge us You'll draw us and call us to your side. And that during this time of invitation, we will not escape the opportunities and our responsibility to respond. But we'll do business with you. Every man, woman, boy, and little girl will do business with you right now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And amen. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Peggy's going to sing. If you need to make a, a decision known, you need prayer, you go to Brother Brian right now. He'll pray with you. is greater far than the tongue or pen can ever tell it goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest tail
Step out if you need to make a decision right now. Could we with ink the ocean feel and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and sing that last verse one more time. You step out and come. Won't you come? Could we with ink the old 